Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verses 18 through 28. A reading from Genesis. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke, awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be he to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalm for today is Psalm 86, 8 through 13. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations that you have made shall come down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verses 13 through 24. A reading from Romans. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. 
If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 20. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Jesus went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They did this so that, so that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other one. But the Pharisees went out from there and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was done to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope." This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. If you have a Bible with you, grab it and open it to Genesis 9. If you don't have a Bible with you here today and you want to follow along, there are blue Bibles on the table in the back. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those, one of those is yours to keep as our gift to you. This is uh, the end of the story of Noah and the Flood otherwise known as the part of the Noah story that they never taught you in Sunday school, nor does it show up in any little children's toy. This, this part of the story is, it's, it's pretty stark. You've got sin, curse, and then a promise, all in very short order. God has been faithful to Noah throughout this entire thing. For the last four chapters that we've been hearing about this guy and his family, God has been faithful to him. 
God selected Noah. He didn't have to, but he did. God told Noah that a flood was coming. He gave him instructions on how to build an ark. He told him when the flood was going to happen and said, get in the ark right now. And then God protected him and kept him safe in the ark during the flood. After the flood was over, God brought Noah out of the ark and he made a covenant promise with him and said, I will never again destroy the world in a flood. God has been incredibly gracious to Noah over and over and over again. And so what do we see as Noah's reaction to this? Noah gets falling down drunk. It would be very easy for me to get kind of judgy about that, like God's been pouring out his gifts on you over and over and over again, and and your response is to just do this incredibly stupid thing. It'd be very easy for me to be judgy about that, except that I can't count the number of times that I have done that exact same thing in response to God's grace. And in fact, I think sometimes our temptation to sin is somehow even greater in periods where God is being incredibly gracious to us. I think this is why Paul says, do you think that we're supposed to sin more so that we can get more grace? Of course not. That's not how this works. But I think he's doing that because he understands that it can be our temptation that when God is pouring out his grace on us, that somehow that gives us license to do whatever we want. And so Noah and his family get off the ark, and Noah, this this second Adam figure, this one who was going to be be a participant and, and kind of the forefather of the rebirth of creation, he starts to follow in Adam's footsteps. Adam was a gardener. He was a tender of the land. And we're told that Noah became a man of the land, that he became a farmer. And the story happens in quick succession, but, but you, have to, you have to imagine that it's not like Noah got off the ark on a Monday and then got falling down drunk on a Wednesday. It's just that about a year and a half's worth of stuff happens in this one sentence. So he becomes a farmer. He has to plant a vineyard. He has to wait for the vines to grow. He has to wait for the fruit to mature. Harvest the fruit, press the grapes to get the juice, put the juice away so that it becomes wine. Like, we're talking about a long period of time. And yet, it's the only notable act that we hear about him after he gets off the ark. Noah gets drunk, and he acts the fool. He, has, he had too much to drink, and his clothes fell off, basically. Now, what happens next is up to some dispute. Part of the reason for this is that Translating Hebrew sometimes is as much of an art as it is a science. And the other part of it is that sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, they tended to use euphemisms, kind of polite euphemisms for things. And so what it says is that while Noah was drunk, his son Ham went in and he saw his father's nakedness. Now that might mean exactly what it says, but it's also possible that it actually can cover a whole range of things, things that you really, really wouldn't talk about in a Sunday school class. And whatever it was, it was clearly a very, very bad thing. It was worth Noah actually cursing his offspring. So there were two big sins here right at the beginning of this passage. First is that Noah gets falling down drunk. The Bible clearly condemns this. The Bible says that wine is a good gift from God, that it's used to to make the heart glad. But The Bible also clearly condemns drunkenness. So Noah sinned, and then his son Ham sinned. And Ham's sin, whatever it was, was bad enough that Noah did the next thing that we see in this passage. He actually pronounced a curse 
on his offspring. So I want to talk about this curse that Noah pronounced for a minute. Genesis 9, verse 25, is one of the verses that slave owners in the West used to use to justify the African slave trade. And if that sounds crazy to you, good. But this is why we read the Bible carefully. It's why... It's why in churches like this, we tend to preach through entire books of the Bible. It's why at the beginning of most sermons, I will give this boring five-minute ramp-up of context of how we got to this passage, because it is really, really important to read the Bible carefully and to read it in context, rather than pulling out a verse or two, deciding whatever you want to do with your life, and then kind of slapping that verse on top of it and calling it Jesus. And so this verse has nothing to do with how black people are supposed to be in the service of white people. And yet, and yet, it was used that way for a couple hundred years, even by pastors, even by people in the church. And I, I realize it is, like, super brave of me to stand up here and condemn colonial chattel slavery. I mean, it's not like I'm blazing a new trail here. But There was a time when Christian ministers were misusing the Bible to justify the slave trade. They were literally breaking the third commandment by taking the name of the Lord their God in vain. And even while that was happening, this gross misuse of Scripture was still being condemned by some who were brave. Uh, Frederick Douglass had this to say at the time. He said, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good and pure and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. So, I bring that up to say nothing in this passage has anything to do with the absolutely terrible ways that it has been misused in the history of this country. So, what does the curse of Ham mean? What does it mean when when Noah literally curses his offspring? Well, first of all, it's not the curse of Ham which you might have heard that phrase before. It's the curse of Canaan. Noah's so mad, he doesn't even curse his son. He curses his grandson. He curses the whole line that his son comes from. This is rough stuff. But the thing to remember is, the original audience of this book was the Israelites coming out of slavery in Egypt, wandering in the desert, and starting to cross into the land of Canaan the promised land. And so they had already come up against these various people groups, and they had enmity with them. They had hostility with them. And so I think that one of the things that God is showing his people, the original audience of this, is here's why these people hate you. Here's why you're constantly fighting with them. Curses for the wicked, blessings for the favored. That's kind of the pattern that we see in the Old Testament. Cursings for the wicked and blessings for the favored. And so these children of Israel, who were the descendants of Shem, they were the ones that had been blessed. But it was the children of Ham, the sons of Canaan, they were the ones that Noah had pronounced this curse on. And the curse certainly lived up to its name. I mean, by the time the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, the people of Canaan were so wicked that God had just decided that he was going to, be, that he was going to wipe them out and be done with them. And so Ham goes in, Ham goes in and uncovers his father's nakedness, or sees his father's nakedness. And then his two other sons, Shem, the oldest one, and Japheth, the middle child, 
They pick up a blanket and they walk backwards into the tent so that they won't shame their father any further. They walk backwards into the tent and they cover up their father. And because of this, they paid, they paid honor to their father. And he was pleased with them. And then he pronounced this blessing on them. So curse for some, curses for the wicked, blessings for the righteous, blessings for the favored. And this is the part that I really want to talk about in this passage. It's an interesting blessing. He doesn't curse the bad son. He curses the bad son's son. And here, he doesn't bless the good son, right? If you look at the passage, it says, cursed be, it doesn't say cursed be Ham, it says cursed be Canaan. And then it doesn't say blessed be Shem. It says blessed be the God of Shem. And this is back to the whole offspring of the woman and offspring of the serpent stuff that we've been talking about. The righteous line that leads from Adam through Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down to King David, and eventually to Jesus. It's going through Shem. That's who the line comes through. And so Shem's offspring is blessed because the God of Shem is with him. But then an interesting thing happens. An interesting thing happens that should mean a lot to you and me and any of us who are not ethnically Jewish. It's a verse I never paid any attention to until I really started studying this book because it kind of sounds like a throwaway. Like there was Shem, the oldest son. He's the one that gets all the blessings. And then there was Ham, the youngest son. He's the one that gets the curses. And then the middle child, kind of classic overlooked middle child syndrome. Noah kind of tosses this line off. Sounds like, oh yeah, and another thing. So, blessed be the God of Shem. And then, oh sure, and may Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. And may God prosper Japheth. It says, may God, verse 27, may God enlarge Japheth, let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. It almost sounds like hand-me-downs, right? Like, older brother gets all the good stuff, and you can kind of go along with him. But when you start looking at what historically happened to these three sons, you start to see that this is actually the first hint that God's plan always was all along that the people of God were always going to expand and that other people were going to be brought in. Let me explain. So again, verse 27. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Here's another way of translating that. May God make space for Japheth and let him tabernacle in the house of Shem. So all the blessings that Shem is going to get, may Japheth also be grafted into those blessings too. Why does this matter? Well, what were the blessings that Shem got? Yahweh was his God. That was the blessing that Shem got. The Lord, the Redeemer, and the Creator, the righteous judge of the universe, he was going to be Shem's God. Shem was going to be a follower of the Lord and part of God's chosen people. And so Noah here is actually prophesying. He's saying, may Japheth also get some of that. May he be allowed in. May he be allowed to come into this tent of God's people, this tabernacle, this place of rest. And if you know what happens to the offspring of Japheth, it becomes even more interesting. We didn't have time to read it, but right after this passage, we go into Genesis 10, which is one of those Toledot passages, the generations. These are the generations of. 
It's a genealogy called the Table of Nations. It tells about the offspring of each of these three sons. And part of this Table of Nations is what happens to each of the three boys. Now, Ham, this is one of the reasons, by the way, that they tried to use this curse of Ham to justify slavery. Because when they talk about the offspring of Ham, it sounds like the offspring of Ham were generally moving south and west down towards the Arabian Peninsula and Africa. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havala, Satba, Rama, and Sebdika. The sons of Cush, it says, this, I just want to read this because I think it's one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be called a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, we have the saying, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. I don't know why that's funny. I just know that it is. Anyway, so in this passage detailing what happens to each of these three offspring, when we get to Japheth, here's what it says. Again, there's a, there's a lot of names, but listen to this last part. The sons of Japheth, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togarma. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Katim, and Dodanim. From these, this is the important part, from these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with their own language, by their clans, in their nations. Any time in the Old Testament, a couple times in the New Testament, any time that you hear the phrase, the nations, we heard it in the psalm today, any time you hear that, it means the people who aren't Israelites. That's what it means. And so we see the coastland peoples spread in their lands. Who are the coastland peoples? The coastland peoples, in Israelite terms, were the people who settled on the Mediterranean, on the west coast of Israel, and those people started to spread north. They spread up the coast of Israel into Lebanon, and then Syria, and then Turkey, and then over to Greece. Is this starting to become clearer at all? In the Middle East, and in, and in the European tradition as well, Japheth has always been seen as the ancestor of the Gentiles. So verse 25 again. May God make room for Japheth, and may he dwell in Shem's tents. Now this is not some great central point of biblical revelation that you're going to find in a creed this story about Ham and Shem and Japheth. It's not a central claim that our faith rests on, but it does hint, it does show us how God, in his great mercy and also his great wisdom, always had a plan for redemption that was an expansive plan. This is the first hint that we get, and we're going to start to see it next week as well when we get into the Abraham story. But this is the first hint that we get that the Gentiles, the non-Israelite people, we're eventually going to be, as it said in Romans, be grafted in to this tree, be brought into this tent of dwelling. And so Shem, the, the one who would receive the blessing of God, God's chosen people, eventually his brother Japheth, the Gentile nations, would be invited in. And this was done through Jesus Christ, nothing else. Through Christ's life and death and resurrection, 
God made a way for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved, no matter where you were born. Anyone who names the name of Jesus can come into this household of faith. And so it was always the plan of God that his covenant people would be expanded to include people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The Apostle Paul said it first in Romans 1.16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then to the Greek. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. And this is reflected in this passage in Genesis. The blessing of God was going to be in the tent of Shem. Blessed be the God of Shem. That was the first part. But then, after Japheth had expanded and, and spread out and moved all the way up into Europe, Japheth was grafted back in. He gets to come back into this tent of blessing from God, to dwell there, to become just as much a part of God's people as the Israelites had been. This is our God. God called a specific people with a specific plan. And that plan is incredibly exclusive, right? It doesn't say that anyone who lives a good and upright life will receive the blessings of God. It doesn't say that anyone who has enough faith in their own deity will receive the blessings of Yahweh, the creator God of the universe. It is an incredibly exclusive plan. But it is also an incredibly expansive plan. It requires being in the tent of Shem, being in, in the household of God. But it also says that everyone from any nation can come into that household. Everyone from any nation is given the opportunity to come into a relationship with the one true God. This is part of God's plan to his people that his word would go forth, that we would be a light to the nations. Whenever you hear this, again, anything to the nations is always to the outside world. And so now that tent, that tent of blessing that Shem was in has been expanded. And, and me and you and everybody can be a part of that tent. But the tent is not full yet. And so now that we are on the inside, we get to, we get to help expand that tent. We get to tell this good news to others. That this God who had just saved the world after destroying the world, who had saved his creation after destroying much of it. That this God, who is constantly making a way for people to come back to him, is inviting everyone to come into this tent of blessing. Let me pray. God, we thank you for stories like this. We thank you for the the Sunday school version that we can easily tell to little kids about how you saved Noah and his family and two of every animal. And we thank you for the hard parts of this story too, Lord. We thank you for the challenging parts about sin and shame and curses and ultimately promises. We ask that, that we would live out these promises that the choices that we make in our lives would be reflective of the fact that we, are, that we are gathered under your tent of blessing, that we have been grafted in to your covenant people who you said you would never leave or forsake, and that this tent of blessing, this is the same tent, this church, 
that you said the gates of hell would never be able to prevail against. We thank you for that, Lord, and we ask you to give us confidence and boldness as we take this, this tent, this movable tent, out into the world and we invite others to come in. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.